everyone. This is Peg Mulqueen with another episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast, where I get to sit down and talk with people in the Ashtanga yoga world who inspire me, and hopefully will inspire you too. Now, I know I've been a little slow with these interviews lately, but I promise you, it's all for a good reason. I've been working on the third edition of the Ashtanga Dispatch magazine, which will include today's guest, Olivia Sue. We combined a little business with a whole lot of fun when she came to visit me here in Montana. Now to introduce Olivia as an Ashtanga yoga student and teacher is really only telling half the story. Olivia is also an amazing rock climber. I mean, this sort of blows my mind because up until I met Olivia, I would have believed the two did not go together. You know how they say, yoga helps everything, but nothing helps yoga. Well, Olivia blows this theory out of the water. Of course, maybe Olivia is just an exception, but I'm telling you, I'm not so sure. And as she'll tell you, that all depends on how you measure practice and what you value in life. I'm seriously so excited to introduce you to one of my really good friends, Olivia Sue. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. And today I have such a special treat for you because I have my really good friend, Olivia Shu, who's here. She's been with me all weekend. We've been photographing for the next magazine. And yes, the next Ashtanga Dispatch magazine is in process. And we're, we're getting ready to start producing and Olivia's been here and we've been photographing, but we've also been like hanging out and we've had these super long chats in my kitchen that I wish you were privy to. But let me back up a little bit and tell you a little bit about Olivia. So Olivia is, yes, she is an Ashtanga yoga teacher and an amazing practitioner. Um, uh, wait till you see. <laughs> She's also uh, an incredible rock climber. My daughter knew who she was. Actually, both my kids knew who you were. Um, she's mm-hmm. sitting right here with me. We're in the yoga room. Both my kids knew who she was. She was at the climbing gym in Bozeman a couple years ago. And they were both, you heard the whispers, that's Olivia Shue. You know, like, and I was like, oh, yeah, she teaches yoga. No, she's a rock, she's like a badass rock climber. This is so funny because to hear my kids talking about you, Olivia here, as a rock climber, and I knew her in the yoga context, the two in my world didn't actually go together, right? Like rock climbing and yoga, I thought one was supposed to hurt the other and, or rock climbers only did yoga to become better rock climbers, but yogis never did rock climbing because it just made them stiff. It just makes you (laughs) stiff. Um, So I got to know Olivia a little bit more and then I find out like more about her, which is crazy. She's one of the most diverse people that I've ever met, to be honest with you, you have a law degree as well. Yeah. So (laughs) that you want to talk about contradictory, all the arrays, rock climber, law degree, Ashtanga yoga teacher. Where did you come from? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, meet my friend Olivia. And I want to start off the conversation as we talk. And I want to talk about the whole idea of rock climbing. We'll leave the law degree uh, aside. Yeah, yeah, I kind of abandoned that. Yeah, let's abandon Rock climbing and yoga. <laughs> you abandoned the law degree. We'll abandon it too. But I think it's interesting that you 
went that route, but rock climbing and yoga. How in the world did you come to both of those? Well, so I actually started off rock climbing first when I was in university. And nowadays um, it would be considered uh, late, you know, because now like kids start climbing when they're five or six or whatever. So I, you know, started in my 20s. That's late. Which is late (laughs) by today's standards. Okay. Um, And so I was super into climbing and um, I ended up getting a finger injury. And so being like a totally obsessed rock climber who like spent, you know, I I probably spent like every day climbing, you know, Um, I had to fill my time. And someone said to me, oh, um, I heard yoga is good for climbing. Like you said, like, See, yoga's so I was right. So I was like, okay, well, um, okay, there's this studio around the corner from where I live. And I turn up, and it's a Mysore class. So my first yoga class was a Mysore class. That's crazy. Where were you? I was in um, Brisbane, Australia. Okay. Uh, and so I just, I thought that was yoga. Like, I literally had never done a yoga class before, and I, like, walk into an Ashtanga class, and I was like, oh, right, my sort. Okay, this is yoga. Cool. You mean there's other yoga? Like... I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, you know, like, so, for me, I I literally never took a lead class until I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I was like, "Um, okay, now I'm studying, you know, I'm practicing at the yoga workshop doing Mysore, which is Richard Freeman's studio. And then finally I was like, okay, I hear Richard's a really great teacher. I should really go to one of his lead classes. So then I finally went to one of his lead classes. But I mean, there was like a good six months that I practiced because he wasn't teaching Mysore at that time that I just practiced and I didn't go to his lead classes because I just did Mysore practice. I mean, you would know like when you do Mysore, it's like sometimes hard to go to a lead class because... It's so right. hard to go to a leg class after you do Mysore. In fact, I couldn't imagine after doing... I did it the opposite way. Like, I did all leg classes. It wasn't until... You know, I didn't go to a Mysore class till I'd been practicing yoga leg classes eight, nine years. So, when I went to Mysore, I was like, well, what do they do? Like, you know, why am I here? Like, it just seems so weird not to have somebody telling me what to do. Yeah. Whereas I came from the totally opposite spectrum <laughs> which it, it's really cool I mean it, it's it's I think it's unique too so where who were you studying with where were you, how long give me some um so I was in Brisbane and then I I I started in this little spot um and then I moved to Sydney to study law and so I had I had started practicing maybe like six months or something like that and then I went on a big climbing trip to Europe. <laughs> and then I was kind of like applying to law schools and then basically got into um, uh, the University of New South Wales in Sydney. So then I moved to Sydney. And then that's when I practiced um, at a place called Yoga Moves with um, the owner or teacher there was Eileen Hall. Okay. Yeah, so I practiced there during my degree. And that kind of started it all. <laughs> I think halfway through, I was like, okay, I really cannot see myself spending 80 hours a week behind a desk reading contracts. I was like, but I can see myself spending 80 hours a week rock climbing and doing yoga. 
killing me. So doesn't rock climbing make I, I've already seen your practice. I can't even no, ask, it does. I can't it even ask this with a straight. It does make you stiff. It does? Though. Yeah, because, I mean, I experience, I mean, I spend time climbing and doing yoga at the same time, but there are some periods where I'm climbing a little more or I'm doing yoga a little more. And so I notice when I practice yoga and I'm not climbing as much, I'm like, oh my God, my my shoulders are so open. My my back is like <laughs> so flexible, you know. So I do I do know that like climbing makes my body stiffer, um, but I don't know. Maybe that's part of like the practice and the challenge, right? You know. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of people that would say, and I'm I, and I'm gonna put it right out there. That feeling that you just did, where you kind of rolled your shoulders and your back feels good. There's a good many people that would give up the rock climbing so that you could progress in the... I hate that I just said that, but yeah, to progress in the yoga. There's a lot of people say, well... And I've heard teachers even say, well, if he gave up running. I might have even said that to somebody, a few people. Yeah, whereas I'm like, don't give up running. You love running. Keep running. Just make sure you stretch after you run, you know? So it's kind of like, I think for me, it's just being a little bit more mindful and diligent about the areas that I'm tight. So like, um, I mean, this might be bad for me to say, but like, I, you know, I practice, you know, my series, but at the same time, you know, there are days where I'm like, oh, my shoulders are a little more tight. So I'll do research, you know? So I might, you know, lay on a ball or something because my shoulders are just tighter because I climbed for eight hours the day before or something, you know. And in the end, it's like, I mean, I've kind of come down to it that, like, the sensations we feel, they're just in in our mind, really. You know, because I've woken up some days, like, I went climbing the Tetons once and spent 14 hours hiking, climbing, and then another 14 hours hiking, climbing. And then next day, I could barely crawl out of bed. <laughs> I, like, literally, I had to pick up my legs. And I was like, oh, practice is kind of going to suck today. <laughs> but, you know, like, you get on your mat and you take one breath, two breaths, and then suddenly you finish your practice. And it's amazing because, I mean, we all experience it. In the morning, You the hardest part is getting on your mat and you wake up. And, you know, you're like, oh, I feel stiff or whatever. But we all experience that feeling of, like, once you start practicing, something happens, right? And it's just a mental state in the end. And so, for me, the tightness in my body is just a mental mental state that I have to... But it's real with. tightness. I mean, it's it's really tight. But when you say mental state, what do you mean? Like, I, I'm thinking I know what you mean, but... but... Well, it's kind of like... I don't know if you've experienced this where... Some days you wake up, you're like, I feel awesome. I'm going to have a great practice. No, I don't experience that. (laughs) (laughs) I might have 20 years ago, but go on. (laughs) Right? And then there's some days, so then there's some days you wake up and you feel stiff. And I've had the experience, or I've had this enough times where I just practice because in the end, I've woken up and felt really great and then felt really stiff. And I've had days where I wake up and I'm sore and tight and after a few sun salutes I feel great I might have like an amazing practice you know okay I think I do it's funny because if you 
if you don't experience those kinds of variances, it can freak you out when your body doesn't feel good. Yeah. Like I have arthritis and getting on my mat every day is hard. It's, yeah. it, I don't, I don't feel good when I get out of bed. I feel so much better after I practice. Yeah. Um, and I know that. So I get on, I get on there, but I, it's funny. I watch Megan and she's, you know, I mean, she's 23. Woo. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and she always feels pretty good. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, mean, I think about when I was 20, like I have moments where I'm like, yeah, I don't really remember ever being sore. Yeah, she's you know? when something, if she gets a little pain, she's like, <gasps> like she just recently, her back was hurting. And she was like, what, what is that? Yeah. And I said, oh honey, that's, that's called leg behind your head. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, this is awful. People have pain like this. And I said, yes, honey, sometimes people have pain. Like this is terrible. <laughs> and, um, but actually working through that, you know, it was really good for her because she actually got to see how that dissipated yeah. and how she could change her practice in some ways and, and do things differently. She got an experience with yeah. that that really it's taught her a information. lot. Yeah. It was good information. She practiced differently. Um, but at first it freaked her out. I mean, <laughs> at first it was like, Whoa, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> That's pain. But, um, so well, also, it's like, I think part of it is that attachment, right? So it's kind of this idea when you, like, when you wake up and you begin to practice, it's like, that's, that's you in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. And it's this attachment to how we think our practice is supposed to feel, you know? And that's, that's the thing, you know, where people are like, oh, well, my legs feel tight from running. It's like, yeah, you're running now, but you're attached to this idea of how your body feels when it's not tight. But in reality, this is what your body is today. But it's not just just that though. I mean, let me just say it. It's also, you know, these, the, the way the postures, Oh man, I'm going to digress. I'm going to go to a different (laughs) subject and I want to come back to the rock climbing, but I'm going to go this route and I'm going to come back to the other one. So the series is set up in a progressive way. And so a lot of us look at it like, well, if I give up running, I could get leg behind the head. How's that? Like, that's a good one, right? Yeah. Uh, running makes your hips tight or whatever. That's a rock climbing. And, yeah. um, but running also makes your legs strong and your hips stable. Climbing makes your arms strong, your shoulders stable. Good point. These are the, the these are so. but oftentimes, but if we look for the quick, I love what you just said because you know I believe that. That's been like the crux of so many of our conversations mm-hmm. is this stability in our body. And sometimes we I think that we overemphasize the flexibility part and some of the getting these postures kind of comes from a flexible standpoint, mm-hmm. but without the stability you either end up injured or um, in a different place. And so, yeah, it takes a little bit longer when there's some stiffness or tension in the body. But it's hard to remember that. So when you're, like, trying to put your leg behind your head and your hips feel tight and you've been climbing, it's hard to say that that's not the important thing. Even if, you know what I mean? Like, I think people give it up so that they can get the pose. Yeah. But then in the end, it's like, well, like, I mean, obviously you care if you put your leg behind your head, but 
You know, so it's kind of this thing where it's like, well, is putting your leg behind your head more important than doing the other things that you love? You love climbing. Yeah. You know, like, because I had actually like um, a moment maybe a few months ago where, you know, I was like, you know, because I like had been teaching, so I was not climbing as much and I was in Hong Kong. um, And so there's climbing, but it's just like, you know, like harder to climb because when I'm in Boulder, I have like climbing 10 minutes from my house or whatever and I was feeling very open I was like oh my body feels really great you know um and I had moments where I was kind of like wow you know I could just like not rock climb then I then I could you know my body was so open and then I went climbing and was like oh my god I could never stop rock climbing you know I was like (laughs) I was climbing and I was like oh my god I love this I love climbing. I get so much joy and fulfillment out of climbing that I'm like, you know, my practice isn't about, you know, how flexible I can get. Like, that's not why I practice in the end, you know? And that really made me realize that, you know, where I was kind of like, I did go there for a minute, but then I was like, you know what? No, I love climbing. Does climbing give you something different than yoga? Do you see... I mean, I think sometimes we look at these things as exercises and, and they absolutely are physical exercises in various ways, but there's something, it looked like some, you get something different from climbing that you get from yoga. Um, Is that safe to say or no? Uh, they're similar, but I think with, um, you know, actually it's kind of funny. Someone once asked me, they said, if it was your last day on earth and you had to choose between yoga practicing yoga and rock climbing what would you choose man they should be doing this interview that's a great question (laughs) and I said climbing you did yeah because I was like yoga is my practice it's like what I do every day it's like brushing my teeth I mean it's more exciting than brushing my teeth but you know it's it serves this other purpose whereas I think like Climbing's not like that for me, you know? I wonder if we, going into another... I get joy um, out of both of them, but they're just different in nature. It, they, they are, and we've been talking a lot about this over the weekend, and I wonder if this is where it's going. We've been talking a lot about the subtleties of the yoga practice, mm-hmm. and it's a physical practice, but... You and I have been kind of going off on the, the subtleties, the what's happening inside that's not really have to do with muscles. I find that I I'm a I'm horrible rock climbing. Um, no, Just I'm because you don't do it a lot. Okay, because <laughs> I don't do it a lot. I really suck. Um, you know, I use. I was telling you, I use all muscle. I'm I'm worn out within a half an hour of on the little wall with the rest of the five year olds. And that's because you haven't found the subtleties of climbing. You haven't found the technique, you know? I mean, when I first started climbing, I remember my first rock climb, there was a top rope set up and it was like a five ten or something. And I was in university and I turned up for this like open rock climbing day. And there were all these guys with these big muscles. I mean, they could probably do like 20 pull-ups. And I got to the top of the wall and most of them didn't get to the top of the wall. And I couldn't even do a pull-up, you know? And I was like, wow, there's something kind of cool about this because 
I have no strength, but I'm flexible and I have like technique or whatever you wanted to call it at the time. Um, cause I was just starting, but like, you know, so it was really interesting to like, see how someone could use finesse their way to the top of something versus use using strength. You know, so it's kind of like the thing I think we we're talking about how like you can do a posture with brute force or there's like, um, like a grace and ease to doing posture when you find the, the right alignment, the right bandhas, and then the prana just flows, you know? You, would you say that your teacher and your teacher is Richard Freeman? Would yeah. you say he inspires that piece? Oh, for sure. I mean, um, for sure he's really lit that internal flame within my practice. Um, and I don't know, just like there are these subtleties, you know, um, where you begin to really understand how prana moves in your body and how you use apana and prana in, in all the Ashtanga postures. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, give me an example. So like in the postures we do, so often we think of, um, the breath, I mean, not everyone, but I think generally people think of the breath as like two different things. Like you inhale, you exhale, but it's actually one continuous thing, right? The, the inhale becomes the exhale, the exhale becomes the inhale. And it's almost like a cosine, you know, like a wave. And so when you think about pranic energy and when we get into these postures, there's always a pranic and apanic quality to every posture we do in the series, Right. So you might use a aponic action to ground and root, right? Because that's the predominant quality of it. And then once you're in the posture, you find the pranic quality. To get that long, length, that length, yeah. that rise. The long that you love. I so love the, the long. long, actually, I was thinking about when you always talk about long, the long you refer to is prana. You know? It's the prana, yeah. yeah. But the rooting comes first. Uh, in a lot of postures, you know, because, like, if you think about, for, ex- for example, backbends, like, you know, people obsessed with, you know, keeping their feet and the heels down or whatever, but that's mostly because our backbends need to be grounded, right? So it's only through that sense of grounding that we can find that length to backbend. Do you think that relates to climbing at all? Uh the prana and upon? Yeah. Um, I think so. Like, definitely, like, um, you know, when you're doing certain moves. So in, if you think about it um, on a physical aspect, when you exhale, you can access bandhas. So like, that's just the natural thing that happens, right? And so climbing is kind of the same, too, where sometimes you exhale, and then you might do a hard move because you can retain better body tension, you know, and then like on a hard climb, you know, I might sit on a hold and then I kind of return to like my breath. And, you know, in yoga, like our breath is related to the nervous system. Right. And so it's very similar, like with your breath, you can reduce your heart rate, depump climbing and then go again. You know, you know, it's so funny. I just realized, I know, I think I, I think I suspect why you would climb on your last day. Why? <laughs> well, you came to yoga 
because you wanted to become a better climber, right? I mean, that was like, I mean, you had got hurt and yeah. so you knew it would help your client. You knew it would help you heal or whatever. Yeah, and so, I was probably like, oh, I need something to keep me in shape or I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but you, you started practicing because you wanted to continue to do what you love. Yeah. It's funny, like, so yoga supports your life. Yeah, and that's what yoga should be, you know? It's like, I mean, like, yoga shouldn't become your life, right? I mean... But it does. It takes over. I'm laughing Are you because... like, okay, I'm going to abandon my kids, and, and I'm going to just do yoga. I'm just going to do yoga by myself. I'm going to get that posture. I'm going to give right? up everything I love so I can have that shape. Yeah. But that's funny. Of course you. Of course that makes total sense. I should have guessed it. Of course you would climb, because the yoga has always been to, to bring life to the things that you love, yeah. to bring joy. It's a steady thing in your life. You know, I think that's what I've re- realized that like this practice we do, it's like it's the grounding, it's the anchor in well in my life really. You know, like when I've had really hard times, it's when I realize I'm like, oh wow, I'm so lucky to have this practice. Because it really keeps my feet on the ground. You know, and, and, and it's those tough times that you really see the practice. You know, that's when the practice really turns up. And maybe that's why I like to do things to make myself feel stiff and whatever, you know. Because it's almost like the whole thing when you don't realize. It's like you need something to make you realize that, you know, um, it's like the light in the dark, right? It's like you don't. You don't realize something until you don't have it. It you're you're right. I mean, it, it's funny once you find it. I don't know. There have been times when something you love goes away, and that's when you realize how much you miss it. You know, like that's with people with um, activities. But we can get really attached too, and I think the way we define our yoga practice distorts it. You know, we can if you let it. <laughs> it's it, human nature to want to do that, I think. It can become, it can take over. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, human's ego structure is so strong, <laughs> you know, and that's, and that's what's great about this practice is that, you know, kind of reels things back in, you know, it puts things into perspective. It can be humbling at times, you know, and I think that's, what's beautiful about the balance of the practice, you know, like where I think we've talked about like this idea, you know, there are people who are stiff and strong. There are people who are really bendy, but when you look at the practice, it's a pretty even practice, you know, in terms of like making everyone work. (laughs) It does. It's an equal opportunity ass kicker, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, it definitely is. But you talked about when your shoulders are stiffer, you kind of do some research and you go back. I think we get so tied to everything so religiously and, mm-hmm. and dogmatically that we forget what our day looked like, what our life looked like. I think I, I told you, and, I, and I've said this on the podcast before and even in the last magazine, you know, I w- forgot that moving from one place to another, you know, like I was moving yeah. physically, it, like leave it and my dog died yeah. and it was really traumatic Stressful. and I was going through menopause, all three of those things at the same time, yeah. kicking my ass. 
in my yoga practice, but I was on the, the route, right? The direct, to me, I was killing myself in yeah. my yoga practice, totally disregarding everything going on in my life and wearing myself out. Yeah. How do we, I mean, I did it and I would say, I try to keep yeah. pretty good perspective, but I lost perspective. Yeah. I lost sight of the yoga to, to be there for me, to hold me during those times, yeah. but also to make joy brighter and, and wonderful that the yoga isn't it by itself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. But you know, it's like the fact that you can recognize that now is a really beautiful thing. There. Well, nearly killed me, so (laughs) that was helpful. But I think, you know, that's the thing I think sometimes um, that people can do with the practice, right? It's like, you know, saying to you how we practice so that um, we experience amhiza, right? Nonviolence to other beings and we're more compassionate. But a lot of the time we forget to be kind to ourselves, compassionate to ourselves as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we're really hard on ourselves. I think, I think that's what plays into it. I think that's why we will often give up things that we love to achieve something we think we're supposed to do. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's like, um, we're kind of brought into the world that way, right? You know, like, your parents have expectations of you to do this, that, and the other, right? So it's kind of like from day one, you know, that's sort of ingrained in, like, the way we think, you know. I mean, yeah, my parents pretty bummed I didn't decide to be a lawyer. I was going to sure, ask the question, know? what did they say when you didn't become, you know, you go to law school and you're well, not a lawyer? Well, you know what? My dad has actually kind of finally asked me, stopped asking me, so when are you going to stop rock climbing? <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of was like, well, dad, you know, I've been climbing for like 20 years, you know, <laughs> but you know, I mean, he's, he's actually stopped, but I mean, there was a period in my life where every year I would see my parents and they would say, so when are you going to stop that rock climbing stuff, you know, get a real job and like whatever, you know, <laughs> Wow. And all I keep looking at, and I actually didn't even realize how old you were. I'm going to like, I think that's probably forbidden to ask, but I'm asking anyway. I'm 39. 39. (laughs) Yeah. And you're so full of life. I mean, when I, we were riding four wheelers yesterday, we were up on the supports. Today we went out on supports, out on the lake, and then it happened. Oh, you're doing that with me. Okay, yes, I was doing this with her, yes, we were doing it together. Um, but it's, it's so funny because here you are, you're, you're out here for the magazine, we were shooting, and we were shooting your third series, this is Olivia. I say to her, okay, we're shooting third series, we've got two days, um... We're going to go out into the shop. It's going to be a little cold. And I'm, I'm apologizing for all of these different things. I'm giving her like a 48-hour time span to do this. She says to me, you know, why don't I just go out there and I'll just do my practice and you can just photograph. And I said, okay, but just so you know, I'm not wed to anything. Don't worry about it. I don't want you to. I'm giving her all of these like, don't worry. It's no big deal. It's cold out there, guys. You weren't out there. It was... Six, I don't think it had broken 60 degrees. 
um, when you were out there. You just laid down your mat and you practiced just like I know you to practice. You just kind of went through it. It wasn't, it was just you. You just moving and um, you went through your practice and I don't think we did anything, we didn't do anything. We just sat there and did exactly like you said, just took photographs, clicked the camera when it was time. And then we went out on the four wheelers. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how it went down. Yeah. And today, spent the day on the lake. I know. I was like, all right, we got done in two hours. Awesome. <laughs> so the majority of our time has not been focused on yoga. No. Or and yet it gets woven into almost everything we do. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? <laughs> I keep asking this question of people. How do we stop losing perspective of that? Because it's, we're all, there. nobody's immune to losing that. Mm. We can either see it through very dogmatic teachings where it becomes so restrictive that we forget that we're teaching people not poses. and. Yeah, I think, I mean... It makes me think of those stories you were telling me where you would have people who would come up to you and they were really beating themselves up and, you know, just, you know, talking about their practice and all this stuff. And, you know, I said to you, I was like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, when you don't find joy in doing things anymore, then like, why are you doing things? You know, like you have to ask yourself that. And I see that in climbing. And that's why I always like think climbing in, like Ashtanga is so kind of similar um, in so many ways. And because I see that in climbing where, you know, people are trying to achieve, they're trying to um, red point or, you know, do a climb. And, um, and they're just hating life. And I'm almost like, why are you even climbing? You look like you're not even having fun, you know? <laughs> it's okay to have fun. Yeah. Or, you know, and that's the thing, you know, like with the practice where it's kind of like, well, like you have to look at why you practice and how this practice serves you, you know, and if, if it's not serving you, then you need to look at why it's not serving you because this practice really is supposed to bring you joy in your life. Talk to me about Richard. I love when you talk about him. I've never met him, but now you... Well, I've always wanted to. I can't quite do his one eyebrow raise. You're doing a really good job of it, though. <laughs> um, I mean, what do you want to know? <laughs> no. what, what... I mean, what makes him special? Um, you know, it's really hard to say. I mean... I think mm-hmm. Richard just has this really profound way of looking at the practice. And I think for me, um, you know, I was talking about this like internal flame of the practice and how it's been lit. Cause I think for me, um, he has this really beautiful way of weaving the philosophy into the practice in just the way he teaches and, and it kind of just lights things up, you know, it just kind of brings um, a deeper level of awareness and consciousness maybe to like the posture, the breath and things like that. He has a different way of working with students, right? He's not, um, does he give you postures? No, I mean, he's pretty like 
non-traditional, you know, in the sense, and like even people have said to me, oh, Gertrude's kind of like a black sheep. And, um, and I think what's interesting about him is that I think he's, he teaches, um, you know, there's some teachers who like Tim Miller who teach every day and they teach Mysore and Richard doesn't really teach in that way anymore. And I think part of it is maybe because he um, feels like he can maybe reach people. Like his gift is in the way he teaches, not with adjusting. And I mean, he's amazing at adjusting, you know, but um, he kind of brings a lot more of that philosophical part of the practice, which I think is sometimes lost, you know, it, you called it a gift. It's funny. It's like, it's true, right? That's, that's kind of how we find our voice. You find a way to express your gift. Yeah. And the practice gives us different ways to do Like there's a very physical component can be, but yeah. there's also, that's the subtleties yeah. that, that are hard there. It does take a gift. Yeah. I mean, cause if you look at it, it's like, so if you were to like make a comparison, it's like you could have someone move you into the place where you need to go. Like, you know, in a whatever forward fold, you could have someone kind of, you know, move the skin of your back so your spine begins to lengthen and it's like you're reaching out through the top of the head. But Richard would say those things versus use his hands maybe. You know, so he's kind of like, I think he teaches in a way, way where he, he brings this like internal awareness I think that's what you were saying to me, like when I forward fold, you were like, oh, it's kind of cool to see when you forward fold, you don't have to pull yourself. It's like you already know. I was saying to Olivia, because of course I got to watch her whole practice um, outside in the shop. (laughs) And when Olivia would forward fold, she just would lay her hand, I mean, do the bind, but there was no pulling. And yet there was this beautiful length through your spine. And it was just amazed me because you didn't look like you were there. What didn't look like there was effort, and especially through your upper body, your legs are amazingly strong. People, her legs are crazy strong. Um, Megan and I were looking at the pictures and we're like, "Are those shadows?" No, that's definition. Okay, um, but I think that we overuse our arms and underuse our legs. And when I say we, I mean me. Um, but that could be anyone else too, if the leg fits. Um, but you don't, and here you are a climber, right? And strong arms and you were using something else to yeah, it's the internal form. And I think that's, that's really it. It's like, um, Richard's really taught me about the internal form of the practice, you know, because if you look at it, there's an external, like the way things look and an internal, right? Like the sensations, you know? And and it's like when you can access the internal form, it's like, it's it's amazing, you know? It's like you can really feel the way prana moves in your body. And to be clear, we have to work with the outside form, especially when, when we have some very real things going on. When sure. real alignment has to happen, you know, some openings have to happen. If your hamstring, if you can't touch your toes... Yeah. You know, it's going to be a little harder to lay your arms down and find this internal totally. body, right? So these things have to open up. But I think that we get stuck there and we think it's, that's the only thing. Yeah. And there's something underneath. There's yeah. something deeper. It's the, it's the subtle body. The really. subtle body. 
What would Richard say if you said, Richard, which wrist do you grab when in Janushasana? I'm not sure. I mean, he would probably make some like funny joke about it. <laughs> he would probably say the one in front of you. <laughs> or oh, that's good. Like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't get too concerned, and that's what I hear is that he doesn't get super concerned about the particulars, yeah. but he wants to take you on a deeper journey. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like kind of interesting because, um, you know, it's sort of like that idea of, um, like, does it not like I think we were talking about that when you're saying like for you in your body now, it's like when you do the third series, it's like, if you do one breath, it's like awesome. Like, so, you know, so if you don't do five breaths, it doesn't matter, you know, because even just doing one breath, you're finding that connection through your whole body, right? And so I think that's kind of the thing with him too, where it's like, if you can find that, then it's sort of like, yeah, if you could do more breaths, that's great. But, you know, it's like, it's, it would be better to find that and have one breath than not find that and do five breaths. I, know, I think I know exactly. And, and to even talk about that, and it's something I've never really talked about, but it was the way I practiced during difficult times that it was with a mindset that there was one way you had to master or, um, yeah, there were conditions of the posture that needed to be met, whether it was five breaths, a lift here, mm-hmm. and that... By never trying, I lost a lot of strength very quickly. Yeah. And even the act of trying, when it wasn't yeah. totally rad, was actually keeping me stronger. But my mind was beating me up because if it wasn't the full five breaths, you know, if I couldn't bust it out like my daughter could, like mm-hmm. that was not good enough. And so best not to do it at all right you go it's time to give back postures it's I've hit that time yeah or whatever that you know you know what I mean like those things that get passed around but I forgot that it's not about that oh yeah I mean it's like when I teach people how to jump back you know I'm you know like people are like oh there's no way I can do that it's like you know what even if you just lift off the ground for one breath you're doing something so Mm -hmm. instead of just like crawling into chaturanga and not even trying to lift back yep you know it's like at least if you try you're you're actively doing something you know the 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 f okay so then i'll go back now i know what you're gonna say because i think this is funny because you said to me i said i'm a terrible climber and you said you just don't climb yeah and that's exactly what i did i got to the climbing gym the five-year-olds were kicking my ass going up the wall and i'm like i can't do this and i stopped and We do that in our yoga practice. Yeah. All the time. But that's not what it's about. No. But that's not what climbing is for you either. No, it's about like trying hard, you know, it's about effort, you know, and that's also in the Ashtanga practice, you know, it's about trying, you know, and that's what I was saying to you with like, it's funny because, um, you know, Richard doesn't give out postures and then, you know, we had this conversation where I was like, yeah, I could just happily just not have to do whatever but in the end you know it's like he teaches in this way where I was like okay I need to create a little more tapas in my practice I like part of part of I think the beauty of yoga practice is this whole transformation right where the first time you do a posture it feels impossible 
And then through hard work and time, you can do this posture. And that's why I was saying it's like this practice is really powerful because it really shifts your mind and your mental state, you know, where like through these postures, it's like a metaphor for your life, right? Where you're like, oh, I couldn't do that, but now I can. So then other challenges that you face in your life, you can take that perspective and apply to, apply it to it, you know? It reminds you you're alive, you know? Yeah. You, it is. You, when I went out with the kids last week and we went hiking, I pictured wildflowers where we were going hiking. I forgot I'm in Montana and there was, you know, three feet of snow. And the kids didn't want to turn back. We'd already driven all the way there and we just kept going. And it was so hard. Oh my God, I was so cold. My feet were wet. Um, it was just so difficult. And yeah. I felt so alive. Like, yeah. That effort, that going through, I just kept giving myself a little, I just make it to that rock. Mm-hmm. I was dead tired when we got to the end and I felt really amazing because I had fun. I saw sights I wouldn't get to see. I enjoyed it. It wasn't, there, there wasn't um, an end point that I thought, like I didn't say to myself, oh, if I, if I can't hike correctly to there, all <laughs> I needed to do was just make it. Like, yeah. oh. <laughs> I think they would even forgive me if I cried but there wasn't so many rules I just needed to keep walking yeah and I had a great time and it made me feel alive yeah that's what rock climbing does for you doesn't it for sure and your yoga practice yeah I mean they're so for me in my life they're so similar you know I mean there's because like it's like I think with maybe also like with the two it's like this this mind-body thing, you know, where a lot of the time um, I think our mind is really the limitation. And you have, and that's what I'm saying, you have enough experiences that, that rewire your brain, you know, like where I'll try a rock climb and I can't even do the moves, you know. And then you try and you try and then, oh, you can stick one move. And then you can stick another move. And then over time, you send the whole climb, you know. And I've even had days, it's kind of like that practicing thing where I think I was telling you how, like, sometimes you wake up and you're just so tired and you're like, I don't know if I can practice today. And I do that all the time. And, and then you practice and it's fine. And I've had that climbing where I've sent hard routes, third day climbing, which physically you normally don't send your hardest route on your third day climbing, you know, but that kind of proves like the mental state versus the physical state, you know? I think that my mind gets in my way (laughs) way more than I care to admit. And I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I'm so unique. I don't think I'm sitting here going, wow, I I think about them. I get in my own way all the time. I think we all do. Yeah, no, for sure. But if love drives us, if that joy, I love how you sat back and said, why am I doing this? It needs to bring us joy. Yeah. Would you say their work? Practicing? Yeah. And would you say it's work? No. You know, it's funny actually. Um, I don't know if I told you, like, recently, uh, I was, like, in Hong Kong, and I had been traveling a bunch to teach, 
And my dad said to me, so there's this word in Chinese um, called xinku. Um, and you know how some languages, there's no real direct translation into English. And so xinku is kind of like, ku is bitter. And xing is kind of like, so it's, it kind of, I guess, translates to um, hardworking, bitter. So like, for instance, an uh, example would be the farmer who works in the field. It, that's Shinku. He has like a really hard life, right? And my dad was like, oh, you, you know, you were traveling in Spain, teaching in Hong Kong and whatever. And he was like, isn't that really Shinku? And I was like, because, you know, he's thinking, oh, you fly and it must be so tiring yeah. and you know, teaching so physical and like whatever and climbing so physical and God, it's such hard work, you know, and and I just was like, yeah, Dad, but, you know, the thing is when you love to do something, it's not hard work. Moose just came in here, by the way. You hear a little pause and some oh. panting. Okay. <laughs> He's just having joy. Yeah. Moose doesn't do anything that doesn't bring him complete joy. <laughs> right? But, you know, you think about, like, things. I mean, I don't know how many people out there do other things. Too, but you know it's sort of like you know if you're into running or something like it's hard work but if you love to run then it's not hard work I'm actually starting to think that doing something different helps keep the balance and perspective I'm starting to think I think at one point I might have said to people don't rock climb middle will tighten your hips don't I, I can't believe I'm, I'm admitting this but I know there's somebody out there listening that's going to say I remember when you told me <laughs> And so I'm admitting it right then, yeah. but I'm now. I think having, or, or maybe I should just ask you: Do you think having something else that you love helps keep things in perspective and keep balance, so that we don't overemphasize? Well, I mean, I guess I kind of think of like, um, like Patabi Joyce, right? He was a householder. He had a family. He had. A, a wife and children you know and so if you think about like traditionally like yogis didn't do that right? that's right and so he was kind of a little different in that respect I mean Krishna Shah as well had a wife but like you know so traditionally I think you know it used to be this thing where yogis you went in a cave and went that, was, cave, it. that and was, was your life it, right and so like Patabi Joyce had a family and so it was kind of like this thing where he's like oh no this is I have a family I have responsibilities so like this is this practice that's supposed to complement this I do find that the people that I'm most attracted to have other things they're they're more than just yoga like you're my friend not because you practice yoga yeah it's it's a place we might have met and connected, but it's bigger than that. Your life is bigger than that. Hopefully my life is yeah. bigger than that, right? I mean, um, I just love that message. And that was one of the reasons I invited you to come onto the podcast mm -hmm. as well, is because I knew that you brought that perspective and you lived that. Like, you have a really... I told you, you have a very balanced energy. You Thanks. just... Um, yeah, you do. You keep a great perspective. And who knows 
where all that comes from. <laughs> but I have to believe that it's a mix, that you keep a good mix. Yeah. We were talking about Ayurvedic principles today. Mm-hmm. And when you go too far in one direction, you bring the other. You know, you, you kind of balance yourself out. And we, we do that. Or in, through the practice. It's like mm-hmm. if you're, you know, whatever, vata, pita, by practicing, ideally you become all three. Yes. Or you, you, you know, that's, that's, that's how, like, the whole science of Ayurveda is supposed to be, right? And by keeping other things sprinkled in there, or it, it becomes your yoga practice. Even when you, going back to when you said, you bring in research. When you know that your shoulders are a little tight, you balance that out, right? Yeah. Why would you want to do a lot of hard shoulder tightening, you know, um, injurious possibly kinds of things. And maybe that's where injury comes from. We go too far into one direction, whether it's too far into our flexibility or, you know, when do we lose that common sense that says, keep this a balanced practice. Yeah. Keep this a balanced life. Yeah, for sure. Right. Well, I think, um, going back to the whole, like, um, having a lot of things in your life and, um, I think the more things you can have, the more richer your life is, right? And I, I feel like sometimes um, if you're so single-pointedly focused on something, all these things can go by without you even noticing, you know? So then you miss out on the real richness of, you know, this life that we get to have. Yeah. You know, and I think in the end it's like, you know, living, it's all about living your life to the greatest potential that you can live it to, you know? So why, why limit yourself? Why limit ourselves? That is awesome. Olivia, I am so glad that you made it out here for these past couple days. This has been amazing to spend time with you and to go exploring and to practice and and just to enjoy life with you I know (laughs) so I want other people to be able to find you as well I know that you teach sometimes you teach at the yoga workshop yeah but you also teach in a lot of other places too where could somebody go to find you your schedule you're a hard woman to pin down so I am um, uh, my website that I need to update <laughs> is probably not the best place. <laughs> um, probably just Facebook. I mean, I probably put up like where I'm teaching and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm mostly traveling and teaching. Um, I've been actually subbing a lot for other people with Mysore programs, um, which has been really like wonderful, you know? Well, if people go to, we're, we're going to work on this. If people go to the ashtangadispatch.com website and you look for Olivia Shoes um, podcast, I'm going to put a bunch of links up there. I'm going to be linking to the Prana video of you and the gals climbing in Spain, right? Yeah. That was an amazing video. Um, that was so cool. So I'm going to... I want to put that video up there. I'll try to put some of your workshops up there. Too bad you're not listening to this earlier. Olivia just did a workshop with Chris Sharma, who is the... Is he the world's best? I mean, he's kind of like the Kelly Slater, I think, of... He's the Kelly Slater of, of rock, rock climbing. climbing. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty rad. Um, yeah. Or he's like one of the most prolific climbers. But I've heard climbing. you... I've heard you being referred to as one of the best female climbers.
climbers, period, if not the best. I'm just saying that out loud. <laughs> you didn't, we didn't say that. I didn't, you don't say that, but I hear other people saying it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So if you get a chance, Olivia's not a big social media gal. She gets on there every now and then and, you know, I don't think you've updated your profile picture or anything like no. that. So, but she's really worth scouting out. So I'm going to put a bunch of links up on the website. I want you to go look at them. She's going to be in the next edition of the Ashtanga Dispatch magazine. She will be featured doing um, the third series, which, by the way, is a really wonderful series. Um, it is. I think sometimes people hear third and they think progression but it's actually very grounding in some ways. And yes, it requires some strength and things like that and things that we work into. And, um, but I'm hoping that people don't look at this as such a progression and don't put the, you know, oh, third series or some kind of elitism to it because I don't think there is. And there's some really nice beneficial postures that are in there that help keep especially I think women strong yeah um in particular if we don't let our minds become so yeah I mean also like if you look at I mean my perspective of the series is like all the same principles over and over again it's you know so if you're doing primary and intermediate it's like all those same concepts are in the third series so it's like you already got it <laughs> you know when you're looking at these things so if those of you that are sitting there listening to this going oh, I'm never going to practice third series it doesn't matter it's nice to look at these things and how they're strung together and maybe you will and maybe you won't and it really doesn't matter yeah. but it's a, a lovely way of exploring our bodies and I'm just grateful that yeah I mean, it's all it's probably more about exploration right? yeah I think so I think so these things have so much to teach us if we'll just let them yeah well she has to get to bed because she has an early flight tomorrow morning so go to astrongadispatch.com um, I'm going to put up a bunch of Olivia's links I'm going to let you know as much as she lets me know what her schedule is in the next coming months I want you to go seek her out we're still working on her teacher um <laughs> See if we can get uh, Richard and Mary one day here on the podcast, fingers crossed. Um, but I'd also encourage you to go seek him out as well. Um, Olivia's really, when she speaks about what I love is when I see somebody talk about their teacher and the love that lights up in their eyes and the way there's something visceral that happens. It's beyond words. And when you talk about Richard, and Mary, both, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have had them as teachers. And, um, you know, sometimes, like for me, I'm just like, wow, they're such good role models. I mean, they're in their 60s. And I think I was saying to you where they're 60, but they feel so young and so vibrant and so youthful still, you know. And that's kind of what I aspired to have in my life <laughs> me too me too hey you guys thanks so much for listening um thanks for tuning in go to ashtangadispatch.com go check out the links on there check out olivia her teachers richard and mary and until next time i'll let this girl go to bed and 
and uh, you all have an amazing day. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode with Olivia Sue. Make sure you visit astrongadispatch.com to see some video of Olivia in action. Now, before I go, I do want to make sure I let you know I have an awesome event coming up here in Bozeman, Montana, September 26th through 30th, where I'll be teaming up with someone who's been as meaningful a mentor to me as a friend, and that's David Kyle. Please visit the Ashtanga Dispatch website for those details. I promise you, it will be a really, really special week. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast was brought to you today by me, Peg Queen, along with my producer and editor, the incredibly talented Chris Lucas. Check out his website at cwlucas.com. We have some really special episodes coming up, as well as more information on the next issue of the Ashtanga Dispatch magazine. So please make sure you're on our mailing list. Visit ashtangadispatch.com and scroll to the bottom to sign up. It's that easy. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy summer, and I'll be back real soon. I promise.